Hi, I'm Tony Karen Brown. And I'm Benedict Evans. What are we talking about today? Um, meta, meta, meta. Without the verse, without the verse, without the verse. Yeah, let's just not let's just not have any jokes about that. <laughs> so Mark Zuckerberg has been talking about metaverse for quite a long time. Um, and, and obviously they've been talking about VR for sort of five years. And so there's two completely separate strands here. One of them is Facebook saying, okay, this is the second phase of the company. It's whatever metaverse mm. is, and we can come back to that. And the other is changing the name of the company. Should we start with that one? Yeah, so I wrote a piece for one of the, the London newspapers yesterday um, where the, so the place I started was that in, say, sort of 20 years ago, T-Mobile, Deutsche Telekom, bought a UK mobile network called One to One. And One to One had low prices and a crappy network. And they changed the name to T-Mobile. And after about six months, people said, so this new T-Mobile thing, it's got low prices, but it's got kind of a crappy network. And the point is, like, if your brand is bad or uncool or toxic or whatever, and you change the brand, if you haven't actually fixed the reasons why the brand was toxic, then those things will just leach into the new brand. And you won't fool anyone. You have to fix it first. And maybe then, and then tell people, and maybe telling people is you just tell people, or maybe it's a new brand identity, and maybe you change the name. But you kind of, if you've got those problems, you have to fix the problems. You can't just change the name. The more interesting point is, is that what actually Facebook's trying to do? I think if you are of the school of thought that says Facebook is this terrible, evil company, and it's the new tobacco, and blah, 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 then you look at it from that lens rather than listening to what they're saying, because you just presume they're not sincere in what they're saying. Whereas I look at it and think, well, maybe they are, but they don't think they're evil. You know, Channel, what was that that joke from um, Mitchell and Webb, you know, the guy, two guys in Nazi uniforms saying, hang on a second, are we the baddies? Um, wow. And I don't, I don't think they're, we the bad guys. I don't think they've had that. that, that's, that does, that's not how they see it. See it. And so it's more more interesting to think well what would this new brand be and what would the products be in the old brand and new brand and what are they trying to do with it and what do they mean when they say metaverse i also think it's interesting that you were set you started off by saying that obviously we know that mark zuckerberg and facebook have been talking about the metaverse for a while and they've clearly Mm. done a pretty good job at planting that seed that no one i don't think i read of anyone being surprised that they went with meta as a new name so Mm. it's it's interesting because he's clearly done a good job at that, that everyone's like People will agree or disagree. I've heard quite a few people say, you know, that they're angry of, you know, them calling themselves now meta, just trying to, you know, take over that whole, that whole space by rebranding themselves like that. But I've, they've definitely done a good job at planting that seed for a while that no one is really surprised that that's the name yeah, that they've come up. I think that's right. And again, if you kind of dig into what is it that they, they were building, that they are building, you know, there's Facebook, the blue app, there's the actual Facebook app, and then there's Instagram, and then there's WhatsApp. And yeah. they've already Instagram has already sort of become the center of gravity of whatever's new and cool. And Instagram and the and the Facebook app is sort of your parents' app, and it's sort of the old uncool one. And then WhatsApp WhatsApp is this sort of weird thing off by its side that isn't really part of certainly not part of the US conversation and doesn't have an ad business. And so it's a slightly weird thing that they bought to stop someone else getting it. It's not funky. It's not sexy. It does the job, and it has one job to do. And then there is VR slash metaverse slash games slash all that whole sense of what that experience would be. And so it makes sense to want that not to be in the Facebook brand, not because the Facebook brand is toxic, but because it's old and uncool and it's a completely different thing. Mm. 
and so you know it's it's you know you want it to have a different name because it's such a different thing oculus was this very kind of geeky but also very narrow thing um and so it clearly makes sense that and and, and to go back a step like the concept of of metaverse or VR or games or whatever you want to call it is you're going to build this whole new different experience. There's the Facebook experience, there's the Instagram experience. Now there's this whole other experience and the the really excitable view would be this is the whole next thing after smartphones. This isn't just another app. This is like the next generational shift. We like we had PCs and then we had the web and then we had smartphones and now we've got the metaverse. And so why would you call that Facebook? you know why would you give it the same name as the old uncool app when it's going to be a completely different thing but they've called it before they actually have the thing and i think that's i think where we're we're Mm. getting to with that and what's also interesting is the success of this whatever it is they're going to create is going to depend on attracting others to use and create within the space that they've created whether it's apps or programs or you name it and for that to happen you have to have that cool fact that the people actually want to spend time energy money building in your new space which is just interesting it, it is well there's, there's, there's a different bits to this so there's one component is that on the iphone and to mostly the same extent on android Facebook and everybody else are sort of on the sufferance of what Apple and Google want to let you do. And we saw this really clearly, really clearest for the first time this summer when Apple makes all these privacy changes in iOS and great chunks of revenue start shifting off other companies, A, either to off the platform altogether or, or B, actually onto Apple. And, you know, actually, ironically, the biggest places happened with Snap, where the stock was down 25%, not so much at Facebook, but like, Tim Cook basically controls Facebook on the iPhone in in really Mm. important ways. And so really going back like six, seven years, you could see Facebook experimenting with different ideas for what they could do about that. You know, originally there was a Facebook phone. They made an Android home screen. They had all these sort of ideas for what they could do and none of them would work because ultimately they didn't own the platform. And so there's, for incidentally for Facebook, just indeed is for Amazon, which is why things like um, Kindle Fire and Alexa exist. It's they have this platform dependency that is a sort of a strategic threat. And so for Facebook, it's like, well, is there another platform? And if there is, it's got to be us. Not just because, of course, we would want to try and build that, but also because we want to make sure it's not somebody else who can screw us with it. That was also, incidentally, why Google made Android, because they were afraid of Microsoft doing that. And so you have this sort of platform. Not only is it the next big thing, it's also a platform risk. And if that's a new platform, you want to get to that. And in parallel to that, it's also if this is where the new experience is, where the next wave of whatever social and however we express ourselves and communicate with our friends is then that's also what Facebook is. And so you have that platform ownership point and you have the sort of this is the future of social and you have this is just the next big thing. And all of them that makes them pile into this big fuzzy um, baggy blanket of a word called metaverse, which just has like, so I've got a puppy, so it's like 15 dogs have peed on this blanket and it's called the metaverse. (laughs) Well, that's what it feels like. It definitely feels like calling dibs on something that has yet to be built. And I can understand the frustration of people thinking, wait, hold on a minute. I don't want the metaverse to be associated to Facebook. I don't want Facebook to own the metaverse, a space that hasn't been created yet. It's certainly a signal of intent that they they are all in on that thing. You know, it is sort of, it's not quite Cortez burning the boats because it's not like they haven't made like 
two separate yeah. companies and split them off. But it is a little bit like Facebook is the old bad bank and this is the new stuff. I mean, we did a podcast talking about, you know, what is metaverse? And I sort of circled around this a few times. And I, I think the best way I can come up with describing this is, you know, imagine we're in the early 90s and we get a whiteboard and we say, well, what's all the new exciting stuff that's going to happen? Because maybe like actual consumers are going to have computers. And, you know, I was looking at some numbers the other day that in 1984, there were 6 million consumer PCs in America. So the year the Mac was launched. In the whole country, there were 6 million consumer PCs. You know, by the, you know, imagine it's the early 90s. Okay, now there's quite a lot of PCs, but this is before Windows 95. It's no one has broadband. The internet doesn't exist. And so what words would you put on the whiteboard? Well, interactivity, multimedia, convergence. Remember convergence? Like telecoms, media and technology are going to converge into one industry. And probably inter interactive television, probably CD-ROMs and broadband. Ironically, you might have put VR on that as well in the early 90s because it was still a hot thing then. Um, so imagine all of those words that you would throw up on that whiteboard in the early 90s when it was just becoming clear that, wait a minute, maybe a lot of people are going to have a PC. Maybe a lot of people are going to do something computery. And it will probably be built by Microsoft and AT&T and Time Warner and Disney and the New York Times Company and News Corporation. And they'll get together and we'll call it the Information Superhighway. You know, you look back, about half of those things ended up being quite important, although we don't describe them like that now. Like, yeah, broadband turned out to be quite important and interactivity was important, although we don't call it interactivity anymore. We call it the web. And also, all so like all of that stuff happened. Well, most of it, like CD-ROMs were a blind alley and interactive TV was a blind alley, but a lot of that happened. The underlying concept happened, but it didn't happen anything like the way people thought. The word the is interesting here because, I mean, we do say the web, but it's more when you say the yeah. information superhighway, it, it really has this sense of like this top-down centrally controlled system. And that's not at all how the web is. It's radically decentralized, which is ironic, given this whole concept of crypto now is decentralization. But the web is decentralized. And so then we've got, it's not I'm going to build stuff for the metaverse. It's more, no, it's going to be the metaverse is going to be one metaverse. And we're going to build it. And it's going to be a collaboration with other people who are also going to be building the metaverse. Now, it's a weird way of talking about it because like that's not how the web happened. It wasn't that a bunch of companies said, we're all going to collaborate on building the web. There's not really such a thing as the web in the way that talking about it like that. That implies. ownership doesn't actually work. There's just a billion, there's just a, there's just a billion websites. There isn't the web. And meanwhile, there's a lot of other... So, so now you get your whiteboard and you say decentralization, except obviously if you're Facebook, you don't say that. You say VR and AR. And you say games. And so there's this whole thesis that games are going to kind of a breaking out, that games have historically been, you know, low hundreds of millions of people, like a big business, but not a universal experience. And that whereas smartphones are 5 billion people, and so maybe games are going to become billions of people, not hundreds of millions of people, um, like real games, like, like kind of intense, immersive games, not just kind of puzzle games, not Candy Crush, like Fortnite. And so Fortnite and Roblox are part of this. And as much because they have a broader appeal, but also because they have this sort of decentralized creative model where there's continually new content and like individuals are creating all the stuff that you do. And that merges with NFTs and the sense of like owning digital assets 
and expressing yourself by buying digital things and the fact that it's unique and you owned it is important. And you have the trading of those goods? Yeah, so you write all these words on a whiteboard and then you say, imagine um, you walk into a bar and you see that somebody has got this super cool new digital animated thing floating over their head that they bought in an edition of what of 20 from Damien Hurst or Rihanna. And if I go and stand next to them, my digital thing will interact with them, their digital thing. And maybe this has some kind of overlap with Tinder and with AR. And again, it's very like, and then you write a box, you draw a box around this, all this stuff on the whiteboard and you call it metaverse. And so it's sort of a, it's like a mood board for what are all the things that we might be doing in 10 years? And then let's give that a name. Yeah, I'm fine with that. But the fact is... That's an awful lot of bullshit, that, obviously. It's an awful lot of... But it's also kind of interesting. It's very interesting. It's an awful lot of bullshit. As you say, some of it might happen a very different way. A lot of it might never happen. There's an interesting thing for me also. Of this is coming at a moment... Uh, Facebook trying to rebrand itself when we also know that Facebook has been trying to reach a new type of audience or try to get back the younger audience that they yeah. seem to have lost. Part of it from the cool factor, part of it of they've just moved to other social platforms and obviously spending their time money elsewhere. What I've been thinking is, is if Facebook does manage to rebrand and is trying to, you know, be a part or sort of take ownership of this whole metaverse. Are they going to bring back this audience that they've lost or are they actually going to create a whole new audience and attract a whole different audience? Because is that audience lost now? Are the people that have given up on Facebook because it's an uncool brand or just like whatever they come back with, we're not, we're not interested. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that's maybe kind of a false distinction, you know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of obsession with do we have the teenage user and, you know, the teenage user in five years will not be obviously not be the teenagers of today. Um, Also, by the way, I spoke to someone at TikTok who said the second largest group growing on TikTok is 35 plus, which is also fascinating. So this whole talk about bringing, getting the youth and having the teenagers, well, it actually looks Mm. like some of the most engaging audiences are not that. Yeah. There's, there's a whole thing in advertising of like, can we please stop being obsessed with 15 to 25 year olds because they haven't got They've any got money. no money. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and advertisers will say, yes, yes, yes. And then I guess, of course, guess what they have. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think a way of looking at this would be like, number one, this is if this is the next platform, we have to be there yeah. because we missed the last platform. Number two, if this is the next thing, we have to be there because it's the next thing anyway. Number three, if this is this is where social experiences are going. So we have to be there. But more, this is, you know, this is clean, clear blue water where a whole bunch of new stuff is going to get created and we're going to leave behind the experiences of you know, the small smartphone screen and the swiping and we'll move to a whole completely new canvas and we'll create new experiences. You know, you know, let's be honest, it's a very long time since Facebook actually invented anything as opposed to copying and executing executing stuff that other people had invented. Um, and so you get all of that. And yes, you know, the, you know, the toxic brand is part of it. Um, I think there's also a bit of displacement in here. You know, it's a lot more fun to talk about this stuff than to get shouted at in Congress or read another report about, you know, how many horrible people are doing horrible things with your product. You know, nobody enjoys reading that stuff um, or what. And so there's some displacement there. Um, There's also, I mean, somebody pointed out a kind of an overlap with the way Bill Gates became sort of obsessed with, you know, the future of computing in the early 2000s. And you get the whole Longhorn thing and like trying to invent a completely new paradigm for how software would work. And in parallel, the web was happening and um, <laughs> blew them all away. Um, 
and you know that was after the information superhighway but there is that sort of point of like you know this is up the visionary defining the future of computing meanwhile the tech industry is out doing their own stuff and no one cares what facebook's doing i mean i think this is sort of the problem with the information superhighway was and you see this now with like various like random eu projects like we're going to define a european cloud which is like tech doesn't work like that it hasn't worked like that since the 70s maybe the 80s but the days when like big companies could say right we're going to build the future like that's not how the future gets built and it's definitely coming from a sense of try the way i read into these things is it's definitely coming from a sense of trying to regulate before it needs regulating so they try and create a space or try and create something for all of these elements to hold into. But to your point, it doesn't work like that because it's not going to evolve in the way that we think it's going to evolve. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go back, I mean, it's very interesting. Well, let's kind of go in, should have shift gear, because if you look at, watch the Facebook video, and I'd encourage everyone to kind of watch 20 minutes of it. I mean, yes, it's incredibly awkward kind of dad jokes. It's like, if you look up the Windows 95 launch dance, (laughs) bleach your eyes afterwards, it's a bunch of kind of plump, 30-something engineers in tight polo shirts dancing awkwardly um, at a Microsoft event. And it did have a lot of like the kind of the Steve Ballmer dance vibe to it. But it's also, there's a lot of sort of concept video in here of like, what would it be like to use this stuff? And it also reminded me a lot of um, Microsoft did a concept video of, um, you know, the future of Office. When again, it's very sort of, you know, carefully selected ethnic groups landing at airport and gender, mix of genders landing at airports and having, you know, AR and a glass watch and a glass screen that fills the wall and a classroom is made of glass and children on the other side of the world are appearing through this glass and talking to you and you can draw on the wall with your fingers. And, you know, it's all very sort of sci-fi, but it's all concept and it's not product. Yeah. And Facebook are very upfront. Look, this is just concept concepts of why we're excited about this and we can come back to maybe that in a minute but it sort of contrasts that with apple which actually built the thing that defined tech for the last 15 years the original iphone had no apps no video camera no 3g it wasn't their own chip it wasn't nine tenths of the stuff that gives them such an enormous defensive moat today it was it was the definition of an mvp when they presented it, did they present the product as it was or did they present the product as it was plus the world it could be? No, they never, Apple never talks about what it could be. I mean, you can you can parody it because at Apple events, it's always, this is the greatest device we've ever made. And of course it is because it's got, you know, it's had another 50, 18 months since the last one. So of course it's better than the last one. It fucking <laughs> we've be. waited long enough. But if, you know, watch the original one and, you know, he demos visual, watch the Steve Jobs demo of the original iPhone. And listen to what makes people excited. because And you look at it today, like, what's the big deal? But at the time, it was mind-blowing. But, but the point is, like, this, it wasn't, here's what we're going to build. It's a build a thing. And there's a, lots of reasons why you should buy this one. And they don't need to say, yeah, it kind of sucks now, but imagine yeah. what it will be. Which is extremely powerful from a product perspective. The product, the, and the, 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 the original iPhone was the best phone you could buy even then, even with no apps, even with no 3G, um, even with no video camera, had a terrible camera. You know, there was stuff they needed to fix. But 
it was already a really, really compelling proposition. And you just know if and when they launch AR glasses, there will not be a Mm. concept video of what it might be in 10 years. There will be some really, really clearly defined reasons why you should buy it now. And yes, they'll add stuff, but like it will be a product that you should buy today, not a vision for. Yes, they'll have the vision, but that's not what they'll tell you, right? And I think that that difference is is kind of important because what Facebook has now is a heavily subsidized three hundred dollar VR gaming headset, and it's a great it's a great product for what it is. It's a gaming headset, and they want it des- and desperately hope it will be more than that. And when they say we're building the metaverse, in the end, they want to replace PCs and smartphones with VR and pull everything into VR. Yeah. That's all it is. And so then you have to believe, well, is that going to work? How long do you think people will give them? In term- like, how long can they sing this tune and tell this story of we're envis- envisaging the future and this is what we think it can be and this is the potential? Like, do they have six months? Do they have two years? Can they still be singing this tune and people are like, your time is up? Like, how does that work if you're not putting out there the product that's... It takes... it Well, but they are shipping up... They are shipping something and they're shipping... They're building towards it. And so the VR headset will get better every year. You know, the that there'll be a Quest 3 or whatever they call it. The meta, they'll call it something else. The headsets will get better. The software will get better. The avatar will get better. I mean, the demo they showed was, you know, having a photorealistic avatar of yourself that can be that can appear in the room. You know, the headset, the headset will have perfect 3D pass-through. So you put the headset and you look around and you see the room around you almost as though there isn't a screen between you and the room and and then I'm on a call with you and you will appear sitting on the chair and you know they want they basically think that this is just Moore's law and work and that that will get you through to from what's now a fairly limited gaming device to your universal digital experience and I look at it and I think well maybe or maybe that's like looking at games consoles in 1990 and saying more Moore's Law will turn this into a universal computing experience. And it wasn't Moore's Law, it was just the wrong experience model. And there was a certain number of people that wanted that. But actually the right experience model for universal computing was not a games console, it was a smartphone. And it was a completely different direction. And I think that sense of what's the direction you're going in is actually kind of important. I mean, I talked about you know, what the demo was earlier. And this is sort of feeling that I've been having about, which is probably something I should write about, which is if you think like, what is all the the interesting stuff happening, particularly in like work software, and Facebook is big on this, is for work too. It's not a bigger screen. It is something like Figma or Frame.io. It's you take something where you've got file shares and email attachments and a bunch of Google Sheets listing workflows and emails and chats and a whole bunch of stuff spread all over the place and you pull it into one piece of software with one workflow. You know, you need 15 people need to look at this design instead of a Google Sheet with a bunch of comments and an email thread and a bunch of attachments. It's a website, it's software on the web that solves that problem. That's not a bigger screen, that's a smaller screen. And it's a moving, 
and it's moving in a completely like different direction on a completely different axis. It's not even on the same chart as going from a smartphone to VR. It's just a completely different idea of what is it that we're trying to do here. And I look at this, I look at this VR stuff and I'm like, I don't think the future of computing is a bigger screen. No, I agree with that. It, I, I actually really like that analogy to the future of work and how we work. I'm still one of those people who will, I won't go anywhere without my laptop. I do so much on my laptop. I mm. still haven't figured out how I do my job on the go, if I can, on my phone. And it's very few tools. Yeah. And actually Notion is probably the only tool that's allowed me to do that thing where I can mm. open a link and put a comment and talk to someone and actually stay within that app. And it doesn't yeah. feel overwhelming and confusing and I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Um, there's very few tools to your point that allow to do that that doesn't require me actually firing up my laptop, opening it so I can make a sense of what I'm trying to work on. Well, I, I'm as, as we're on this call, I am demonstrating the fact that I don't need a ring light because I have a 27-inch iMac. In fact, I could open a red keynote file if I wanted to have a different key light, key light coming on my face. Just open a Pantone colour to figure out which one works best for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's really interesting. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, but I think that, that sense of where's the, what's the direction of, of what is it that's the future of software is VR. I mean, this might be the wrong way of framing it. So, you know, when I started with a baby telecoms analyst in the dot-com bubble, the question I got asked over and over again was, what's the killer app for 3G? And it turned out that the that was the wrong question because what was actually happening was you were going to have the internet in your pocket everywhere, and that was the killer app. You know the, what you the, you know the, you know what you should have done. You rephrase the question because if I'd said back what I should have said is you're asking me what's the killer app for having the internet everywhere you everywhere you go, and the answer is having the internet everywhere you go. And so it was the wrong question. And so it may be like is the answer having a bigger screen, and is should is looking at VR as saying well now I've got a bigger screen, the wrong way of looking at it. But I but but you know when I look at all of, of Facebook's VR concept stuff, I'm like but that's just a bigger screen. And like all this time you're spending showing how I can type on an AR screen. Like, do you really think the future of this is going to be typing? That just feels like such sort of let's take what we do on our Macs and put them in VR, which is so totally not what happened on smartphones. And then we get back to the conversation that I know we've had a few times here is, is it, do our habits change and they define the type of tech and the tools that mm. we need? Or do the, does the technology get better and better and the tools that I invented and created mm. actually shift our habits and our way of working and playing and doing all the other things? Well, um, yeah. That's quite fascinating. I mean, there's another analogy here is that if you look at Instagram, you could use Instagram with a keyboard and a mouse. I mean, in fact, now there is a website, you can, in fact, basically, you know, you, know, you can't do stories and so on, but the core Instagram experience works fine on desktop, unless you want to post a picture, and then it's easier that the camera is integrated into your device. But basically, Instagram is a desktop web application until you post. And even when you post, really, it's still a desktop web application. Whereas Snap, you could not do on with a keyboard and a mouse. And TikTok, again, becomes much more challenging to do with a keyboard and a mouse. It's actually interesting. I spend a lot of time on Instagram on my desktop, mm. and I don't think I've ever used TikTok on my desktop except to look for yeah. a certain URL of someone's name or someone's profile. I mean, theoretically, you could. You could. You know, you could you open them. I'm, I'm, you know, making this more binary to make the point. But, but you know, there's a different way. You know, there's, that's very much like a V1 and V2. That The V1 is, it's basically a desktop class experience, um, but you happen to have the camera built in, so it's easier to post a picture. 
you know, the same with Uber. You know, it's basically a desktop web application, except GPS is built in and you're standing on the streets and where you want the taxi. TikTok is not that. Snapchat is not that. Snapchat is, is native to the fact that this is a piece of glass that can become anything. And it's, I just, it's useful just to sort of look at VR and wonder what that is. I mean, it's back to my point about the Microsoft Microsoft Office concept video. It was basically all about what screen do you have? None of it was about what's the software doing. Mm. You know, none of it was like, well, how would you integrate the experience more? Because you can't show that in a cool video demo. You know, if I'd given you, if I if I'd shown you like Figma in a demo video in two thousand and one, it wouldn't have looked any different to Photoshop. It's you know, it's just a little unless you read what the labels were in the boxes and realised that you were collaborating with people across the country. And so that sense of like, is VR the next thing after this? I mean, this is, gets you to these other questions of like, is it VR or AR? So, so there's one thesis that says that VR and AR sort of merge because you'll have pass-through on the headset. So you put the headset on and you, you see what's in front of you anyway because it's got cameras on the outside and they get passed through. And so that's and then, as I said earlier, like then, you sit, then your avatar appears magically in, in the room. Um, the other way to look at this is to say, no, you actually want a pair of glasses that are adding stuff into the world versus a pair of goggles versus a headset. So you have something that looks like what I'm wearing, you know, look like normal eyeglasses, except that you can add stuff. And that's probably from a, that you can't block out. The problem with that is you can't block out the world entirely. You can't use that to put yourself into a completely immersive experience. Um, there's also part of lots, much, much harder physics problems in doing that. Sure. Like, can you get the right field of view? Can you get the depth of field? You know, can you, you know, which is why there's nothing you can buy today, which is where Magic Leap failed and where Google Glass failed and all of these things failed. And we don't know what Microsoft, we, so we don't know what Apple thinks it's got working yet. Um, but that is another kind of question is, is it AR? Is it VR? And of course, the elephant in the corner is, you know, is Facebook even the right company to do this? Well, that's, yeah. And never mind the brand and all that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. and know, the negativity you know, and everything ultimate, that failed at. Yeah. And, you know, yes, they're spending $10 billion a year on this. Apple's got a $25 billion R&D budget. And then they've got the chips and the platform, the operating system, the app store, the whole ecosystem. They've got the 300 stores in premium locations. They have the materials people, the supply chain people. But I think that's why people are mad at the calling dibs, because... To your point, like, why are you doing this? Are you the right people? Are you well equipped to do this? And it is, they are, it is a David and Goliath point that who is best placed to make this incredibly, you know, from an engineering perspective, very hard thing to do. You know, look at the watch. You know, who else could, nobody else has managed to make it. I mean, the, what, the smart, it's interesting, contrast the iPhone, the watch. There's plenty of other people that make, an, make a smartphone that's, you know, where you would you could choose that smartphone over an iPhone, and it's pure, basically a question of personal preference. Much harder to recommend somebody buy an Android watch over an Apple watch, and that's because of all of that integration, that custom semiconductor, all the stuff that only Apple can do because of their integrated structure. And so now you look at Facebook saying, well, we're going to take on Apple and Google at doing this stuff. Yeah, they've got $10 billion a year to spend. Meanwhile, Apple has, a, has had a VR headset in the lab for five years and looks at it every year and say, no. Nah, we don't, we don't think this is good enough yet. And they may never. I mean, they sat out Blu-ray completely. They, you know, it's a trivial thing. You know, they may, they may just sit out VR completely and just say that's not going to work. Do you think Apple is looking at what Facebook, like the stake in the ground that Facebook is planting right now and thinking, oh, we should start moving? Or does Apple not care at all about what Facebook is trying to do? I'm sure Apple would say they don't care. 
I'm sure Apple is is watching with curiosity, but I don't think, you know, it's what kind of products does Apple make? Apple doesn't ship experiments, which is, and, you know, Facebook would be perfectly clear what we're shipping are experiments right now. Apple doesn't do experiments and they're very, do very narrowly focused things. Now I'm sure Apple, Apple talks an awful lot about AR. They don't talk about VR at all because they don't have a product. The moment they have a product, they'll say it's the best one ever and no one's ever done anything worth having. That's how they roll. But I think they have, they, you know, Facebook, I mean, we've talked about this before. Facebook is building in the open, getting towards what they want to have. Apple doesn't ship stuff until they think it's something that you should buy. But they also, you know, it's just, you know, going up a level. What do we, I mean, you go back to when Facebook shipped um, an Android home screen. Do you remember this? They made something called Facebook Home. And you basically, you installed it on your Android phone and it replaced the launcher and the home screen and the whole thing with a sort of social interface. And you had little floating bubbles for your friends. And it was kind of cool. Um, But it sort of forgot that, yes, your phone is about people, but it's not, that's, it's about a bunch of other stuff too. It's about the New York Times app and the Uber app and the Pinterest app and the web browser and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and all sorts of stuff. It's not a social device. It's Social is one of the many things you do and not only with Facebook either. And so if you, you know, Zuck, I remember Zuck saying this when they launched it and thinking, but that's, yeah, I know why you think it's a social device, but that's not how I look at my phone. The social app, social apps are some of the apps on my phone. And it's the same now as he talks about the metaverse. It's, this is going to be all about other people. Well, but that's not what our computing experience is. That's part of our computing experience. There's a great piece from a journalist explaining, I think they coined the term like the Apple man of just like every time that Apple showcases the device, it's a very specific person that uses the device in a very specific, unique way. And you're like, that's not how I would use my device. I don't multitask in that way. It's just interesting to see something portrayed and um, being used in a certain way and going, well, actually, in reality, it's fundamentally different of the types of tools and the types of apps and the types of ways I would use the device. I mean, these user stories always sort of reflect the company. I mean, Google has completely different user stories from Facebook, which has completely different stories from for user stories from Apple. But the, the whole Facebook thing of this is a social device seems very solipsistic. Mm. Like that's, no, it's not. You're a social company, yeah, but that's not what the device is. You know, you're only one of the things I do. You, you know what's interesting? We Every time we come back to this, of just like the different ways of how Apple works in secret and puts out a final product and Facebook works in the open and puts out experiments. It just, I like it because it just reminds me of we actually need both. Mm. And I think that's why I'm I'm neither too excited about the rebranding of Facebook, but I also don't hate it because we need people to be innovating and pushing the boundaries and thinking about things that aren't yet viable or possible as much as we need people to be putting out products that we can actually use tomorrow. Yeah. Facebook, you know, going back to what we said at the beginning, fix your product and rebrand it. Yeah. Well, Facebook isn't going to be fixed in any, whatever that would even mean, yeah. any time at all soon, because they have 2 billion users posting 100 to 150 billion things a day, and that's five or six times more than the global SMS system. 
And, you know, this is a whole other conversation, but like all of the stuff that's come out of all of this, these, these, these sort of papers are, look, there's 40,000 people working on this and there's a hundred, there's a thousand different projects and some of them work, some of them don't. They're all on top of each other. The tech does this, the incentives push this way. There's the alignments, are, the, the incentives aren't aligned. There are trade-offs, there's conflict. Yeah. Like, it's not as if we're not doing anything. But... And yes, there's a, there's a bunch of organizational dysfunction there, but in the end, it's not like Zuck has a button he can press. This isn't Uber where, you know, Travis built a company on let's all be ourselves and that's how we're going to win. And there's a bunch of people who would say that Uber is, <laughs> you know, Dara changed the culture, but, you know, there's a bunch of, of, of Travis's people would say yes, but it's not nearly as good a company as it was then either. Don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but like you kick out Zuck, Zuck, then what? And so I suppose what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, you've just got to like, suck it up and accept like there's a just a bunch of crap on if you were at facebook you you would have to say like we're gonna have to get on with other stuff while trying to fix yeah. it we can't just stop everything and not build anything else while we try and get on top of all the problems of toxic content because that's not going to happen in six months no matter what we do that's what i was going to say and the fixing it is going to take years yeah, they're fixing it, and we have no real conception of what it would mean for it to be fixed. Like, what is, it's like the conversation we had, you know, what does it mean to say crime is under control in a city? You know, either Facebook just sort of sits and... sits it Basically sits it out, yeah. Spends the next two years doing nothing but trying to fix the platform, or they put it, they have their 50, 60, 70,000 people working on trying to fix the platform, and they do other stuff too. It's interesting. I mean, you know, it's just, you know another it's another topic, but you know, looking at a lot of the comment around Facebook and Meta in the last week or so, I think it's sort of it's it, it's just interesting to think. Well, what is it that's going to happen to Facebook? Like the U.S. Constitution makes it basically impossible to pass laws to tell them what content you can have. Um, none of these are antitrust questions, and you know, good luck getting an antitrust judge to say. You know, bad stuff on Facebook means I should break it up or find them. Good luck getting any kind of law of any kind whatsoever through US Congress at the moment. Even if you made Instagram a separate company, well, that's not going to make Instagram. You know, if your whole argument is that cares too much about revenue and not enough about removing harmful content, then how exactly does making Instagram a separate company make it less aggressive about revenue? So you could look at all of this, and if you think Facebook is a spawn of all evil, you should be quite, maybe you should just be really depressed. <laughs> They're like, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to get fixed unless it's up that does it. And me, but meanwhile, you know, lots of people will have different opinions about that. But meanwhile, if you're Facebook, you have to do new stuff as well as trying to fix the old stuff. But no, but it's fa- it's it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. And, and to the point, it's, it is not, I find it interesting that we've managed to talk about this for, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes, because there isn't a lot to actually talk about. But at the same time, it is absolutely fascinating. And I think every article, every piece I've read about it, it kind of, we're all going round in the same circle of, well, of course, they're going to rebrand. And of course, they're going to have to think about the future. And of course, they're trying to fix it. But at the same time, we've been having these same conversations about Facebook since Cambridge Analytica what was that three, four years ago. Was it three years ago? Five, five years Jesus, ago. Five years ago. And 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 of course and of course the irony of Cambridge Analytica was it was, was in the end it was basically yeah. a hoax. So there was nothing there. You know all the st- I mean it's hilarious looking at the people who worked on those movies about it. You know they're still on Twitter saying you desperately claiming all the stuff that we now know basically wasn't true. There. And we were e- and I remember cautioning this 
clearly five years ago now, of, uh, there's nothing there. We've yet to be proven what what data they are you like when it came to the elections and being told, oh, are you supporting? Why are you backing Facebook? I'm not. There's just nothing backing there reality. Backing reality, there you go. That's enough. That's that's a slogan to shove on a t-shirt. Backing reality. Yeah, meta, um, meta reality. <laughs> reality versus the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, you know, what there's so many things one can say about Facebook. I think the it is they are sitting and trying to take control of their destiny again. And you could call this setting a narrative, which is a PR kind of a conversation. And there's clearly a big piece of that. But what I think what Zaki is also doing, and particularly changing the name of the company, is sort of a statement of intent, which is we're going to go out and build this thing. And we think this is the next generation. There's a bunch of reasons why we should do it for like, you know, the Apple thing and the TikTok thing and Snapchat and everything else. But we're going to go out and build stuff. There you go. It's a nice way to end.